The following is a discussion with Mateo, co-founder and CEO of AidSleep. AidSleep is a pioneer in sleep with a sleep mattress technology. And they have raised more than $170 million of investments, some of the best funds in the world. I'm Kiriakos, founder and CEO of Terra, and started this podcast with my co-founder, Ralph, to speak about wearables, fitness, and health with some of the best people in this industry. Together, we build an API, Terra, that makes it easy for apps to connect to wearables. Let's jump into Miami. What's, uh, what's going on there? We hear so much about Miami, how... And I think you are a big advocate, especially on Twitter, about Miami. Uh, can you can you build a great company there? Yeah, I would probably say that now is in the U.S. is probably the best place or one of the best places. Um, there are so many people in tech, from crypto to Web three to Web two. Um, there is a lot of money going around. There are a lot of influencers that can help you, particularly if you have a a consumer business, right? From the mayor to pump. Um, and um, I mean, I can't keep up with the, the the number of meetings and events. Last week, there was Miami Hack Week. There is Miami Tech Week coming. There is a Bitcoin conference coming. And then there is also sport, Formula One uh, coming, tennis coming. Does it have the same effect with... Um... The, the networks effects that San Francisco had like two or three years ago? It looks like San Francisco in 2015. At least, I mean, I lived there in 2015, so it's the same, but it's probably better for two reasons. One obvious is um, the weather. So there are a lot of events outdoor in beautiful houses. So it's just really nice to hang there with other founders. And two, this, there is this new sense of a new community. Right, so everything is fresh. It's not now that there are, uh, I don't know, a, a bad mouth from uh, old events. Everyone is really positive. Everyone uh, just moved here, so um, everyone wants to make the city a big deal, particularly the mayor. Is there anything that you find in Miami and you couldn't find in San Francisco? I think there is this attitude and energy, um, and um, the. The weather and for me the, the other big thing is here you can have a house right instead of just an apartment and so i i work 90 percent of my time from my backyard and so and this morning i played tennis at 7 30 and then by 8 30 was uh back home your twitter by the way about it yeah uh, my i mean the amount of workouts last year compared to 2019 which was the last full year in new york it was more than i think it was double or something like that so out of energy, I don't know, I, I go kite surfing with, with Dalian at Founders Fund and another person from Atomic. And then that same evening, there is a barbecue at an event. Uh, on Tuesday night, I didn't go, but there was a meetup. It was on a house on, on the water with DJs. Uh, again, last week, there were um, engineers flying from everywhere here for Miami Hack Week. Uh, you can't keep up. It sounds like uh, a Mediterranean country that does startups. Yeah. <laughs> it's the closest thing. That is what I'm liking of Miami personally being European is the closest thing to uh, a European environment, even because there are so you know, many people from, from Latin, right? So the culture <clears throat> is really a mix of American culture, Latin. There are a lot of Italians here, not in tech, but in general in all the other industries. So. Uh, 
What about hiring? Uh, I think one of the very good reasons that uh, San Francisco was really good was uh, Stanford was there, Berkeley was there, some of the best schools in the world in engineering. And it was really acting as feeder schools into the whole entrepreneurship community. Do you have something similar there? Uh, there is the University of Miami, and I think it's starting a new trend there. Uh, but I would say right now, the biggest thing is there are companies that are growing quickly here, like Open Store. They're hiring a lot of people. A lot of people are moving here, and then they will start their companies. So if you really fast forward five, 10 years, we are really at the beginning of a movement because now these people come here, they work, they work at Open Store with Keith, they, they make it big, and tomorrow they will start their own, I don't know, Coinbase. Um, and so at the beginning, there were a lot of VCs, but less operators. Well, instead, now there are a lot of operators. And I think that is what will be the real game, uh, the real game changer. And I hear a lot of from founders fund that you mentioned already that uh, they're really big into Miami as well. Are there all the funds there? Do you, do you usually find, find uh, all the investors around? Um, I mean, there is them, right? There is SoftBank that is pretty big. Uh, but also Valor Equity Partners, Antonio moved here. Uh, I mean, that is how the deal happened. Uh, we met, we went a couple of times walking at the beach together and discussing uh, the, the, the vision of its sleep, what we wanted to do. And, and then he led our uh, $86 million round. Um, wow. Then, yeah. And then regularly people are coming here, then a bunch of investors fly in for other board because that is the other thing. There are board meetings and so these people fly in. So right now, I think uh, probably, I mean, 70% of my board lives in Miami. Speaking uh, about the product, Matteo, what a, what a fantastic idea. Uh, as a normal hu human being, 33% of, of our time is spent on, on bad sleeping. Both myself and Kiriakos use eight sleep, and we are big, big uh, advocates and fan of the, of the product. Can, can you tell us more about how, how did you come up with the idea and how you started it? Yeah, so everything started because I couldn't understand why we were spending a third of our life on a piece of dumb foam while Elon Musk is taking us to Mars. I have always been an athlete. I was an entrepreneur. I wanted to sleep less to work more. I couldn't understand why. No, no, we pretend to go to bed, lie down over this piece of dumb foam and wake up fully refreshed and recover. It just didn't make sense. So we started looking into that. Um, we created first a cover that was really a sleep tracker. Um, but then we immediately understood people kept asking for temperature regulation because some people feel hot, some people feel cold. We started looking into all the medical research and we understood that that is the biggest factor impacting your sleep quality outside sleep medical disorders. And so it was very clear that there was a strong demand and that there was you no. Know, plenty of evidence that this has an impact on, not even just on your sleep, but on toss and turns, wake-ups, HR, HRV. Um, and so that is when we pitched that to COSLA and when Keith led our round, uh, they gave us the money to build the pod. We built it, uh, we launched it in May, 2019. And I think that that is when things really started picking up. Perfect. For those who don't know you, can you give us a bit more details in terms of how do you improve the quality of sleep? Yeah. So we invented a technology um, that can improve your sleep through thermoregulation and data. 
comes in two form factors. One is a cover that you can install, a topper that you can install on top of any mattress, or you can buy the whole mattress, which is substantially the Lamborghini of mattresses. Um, but what we really do are two core things. One, um, our devices, they come with thermoregulation embedded. And so temperature changes during the night based on your biometrics to help you fall asleep faster, get up to 20% more deep sleep, improve your HR, HRV, uh, and reduce wake up, uh, wake ups and toss and turns. We have plenty of data that we deliver that. The second thing is the device is, is becoming, I would say, almost medical grade accurate in a couple of different dimensions. Right now, we are really accurate at HR, HRV. So we are above 90% accuracy compared to a medical grade device. But in the future, we'll start tackling respiration, which then means uh, snoring and sleep apnea and other uh, factors. So if you fast forward, if you really fast forward three years from now, your bed will become a sort of medical grade device that scans your body and monitors your health every single night, plus optimizes your sleep. You know, it's funny, the other day um, when I started using 8sleep, I was quite stressed one day uh, from work. I go back home, I sleep, I wake up, uh, I start coming back and I get a notification on my phone. And it's like, oh, your heart rate was pretty high last night. You didn't sleep well. Um, maybe take it easy today. And I was like, is this like... It's like, it's like something from movies. It's one of those things that, um, that you would expect coming from the future. And, uh, and yeah, it's like, it's what we're seeing as well, which is what is the future of this space, which is going to be prediction based on the data rather than reaction that we knew all the time, right? So in, in terms of the product, though, why is, so it's like, how is, how is temperature correlated with HRV? How, how is it correlated with uh, deep sleep as well in REM? Yeah, well, let's start from the latter. So you have obviously a circadian rhythm, right? Which is more or less your biological clock. And your body temperature already changes during the day and particularly during the night. So when you hear people saying, oh, you should sleep at 68 degrees Fahrenheit, that's bullshit. And the reason is that works for one hour, probably up the night, but again, different sleep phases require different temperatures and at different points in the night, you need and require a different temperature. That is what we fix. And that, so when you are in deep sleep, usually you need a colder temperature. When you are in REM you need the, what is called thermal neutrality. And then a light sleep can be something that is more personal. Um, and so what we see, with our data, but people report it also through Whoop and Aura and other wearables is they can see up to 40% more deep sleep. Um, they can see up to a 30 to 40% reduction in toss and turns and uh, wake ups. And we just ran a study and I'm actually gonna tweet about that where we see uh, a meaningful improvement in HRV. So your HRV go up I think by more than 10%, if I remember correctly, just in the first 15 days with the pod. And then we're working on another study that it seems to prove that uh, we also reduce your uh, heart rate at rest uh, by using the pod. What the, but, but specifically about the, the four stages, right? Why, 
do we need deep sleep? Why do we need REM? Should we try to optimize one of the two, for example, or is it for different processes? So there are for different processes. So deep sleep is really more for, I would say, your body. So it's more about physical recovery. Um, while instead the REM is more for your mental recovery. Uh, that is the time in REM when you are dreaming and when you are reorganizing all the informations, all the information that your brain collected during the day. So deep and REM are extremely important. Uh, light sleep is the one that can be compressed. And that is part of our mission to say, okay, can we compress sleep? Can we help you sleep only six hours and get the more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours? And what's the ideal in this? What's the ideal deep sleep time, let's say, and uh, Ariane? Yeah, so usually it's anywhere for each of them between 18 and 25%, assuming you sleep um, around eight hours. Uh, so call it really between an hour and a half plus. So it's it's all, and in, in the way it functions, I was like using the, the eight sleep app uh, on the, when we fought the first copper mattress. And it all starts with the temperature that we select, the base temperature. And it's... Uh, that's the body position in terms of changing the temperature to maximize the deep sleep. Can you tell us more about how you, how does your algorithm learn about how to adjust the uh, the temperature automatically rather than focusing on the manual input of the users? Yeah, so there are really three ways temperature can be adjusted. There is one of the manual, your preferences. We learn the preferences, so think about a nest for your bed. Second, there are uh, um, weather or temperature changes in your bedroom. So let's say the last few days in Miami was pretty cold for our standards. I receive a notification that the bedroom is seven degrees colder and the temperature automatically gets adjusted. And the third, which is you know, the, the one that in the future will be the most disrupt, is a is a uh, automatic adjustment in real time based on your biometrics. Because again, you need different temperature settings at different stages of the night and also based uh, on the different sleep stages, particularly uh, deep sleep and REM. So our machine learning and AI algo are working to achieve that. The interesting thing is now we start having you know, thousands and thousands of customers. And so we are really able to learn more than what I would say any sleep doctor has ever learned in history. Because in one night, we can potentially run a study with, I don't know, 50,000 people. Um, and usually sleep studies apply to 50, 200 people, and they take eight months. For us, that would take one single night uh, across a part of our user base. What are the things that you actually learned? So if you measure so much information until date, yeah. what, uh, what, did we, what did we understand that we didn't know before? So first, we have hard evidence, measurable evidence that thermoregulation improves your sleep, HR and HRV, right? So um, we have hard data. Now, part of what we are working on, our ML engineers are working on, is really to understand, okay, how can we keep tweaking temperature? No, no one knows is, okay, do you need, it's very likely that you need a colder temperature for deep sleep, but how much colder? And how different is that between you and me because of my metabolism and yours or between my wife and I because of different age and gender? And then it also changes based, did you train at 6 p.m. or did you train at 8 a.m.? Because your body temperature is very different and the velocity of your heart rate is very different. Um, and so we call it temperature autopilot. 
but the first principle is we are developing a technology similar to Tesla. We just don't drive a car, we drive a temperature regulation based on your biometrics. And I guess this is where the integration with, uh, with uh, Terra comes handy. What, what kind of, uh, how would you uh, think the data will help you improve the product 10x? Yeah, at the end of the day, everything we do is, is data driven because we are big believers that health is personalized. And so we want to have access to as much data as possible from you um, just to be able to, to do two things. One, to make autopilot better for you. So you will wake up more energized every morning based on the different circumstances, whatever happened the previous day, right? As a matter, if you had pasta and you had a spike with your CGM or if you train at 6 p.m. So that's one. And today's temperature, tomorrow will be other environmental factors. So autopilot will keep expanding. The second thing is to develop an intelligence in terms of insights where um, software can understand better than anyone else in the world that all the times that you do X, Y happens. And Y could be sleep, but it could even be how you feel or level of energy or your HR or your HRV. It could be that you have snoring after certain meals or not certain activities, but not in other circumstances. And so the part I can't stand is that we don't know what is going on in our body and uh, that I don't know what is really having the best and most positive impact in what I do. So because I'm obsessed with this, I, I don't know, I noticed that if I train in the evening, my I have no um, worse sleep probably because my body temperature changes because my heart rate goes up and it doesn't go down fast enough by the time I go to bed. And so the best thing for me is to train, train in the morning. But, you know, I live and breathe this stuff. This is my job. How can we democratize this knowledge across millions of people? What, um, from, from the wearable data that, uh, that we have today, which one are you actually excited about? I think the, the ones that the guys at the levels are working with, uh, glucose, could be a very, very interesting one when it comes to uh, sleep. Because obviously, there's just so much research behind this when before you sleep, if you ingest an amount of carbohydrates, for example, it's going to change uh, your human growth hormone. Or if you wake up and eat specific saturated fats, it's going to change your testosterone. But all of these things are in theory, right? So I think it's very, very different if you access glucose, uh, if you actually, ac ac if you, if you access glucose in a continuous manner, uh, that, that's, that's for one though, which, which ones do, do excite you? So definitely that one, I have noticed on myself that for example, multiple times when I, when I woke up in the night and I was wearing my levels, um, there was a glucose spike exactly at the time. Um, I have plenty of evidence. So I'm usually fasting uh, OMAD and um, on a keto. I usually cheat on Friday night and um, every Saturday morning I receive you, a notification. cheat with carbs or? Yes. I cheat okay. with carbs, uh, yeah, with pizza. Um, oh, wow. And even notification every Saturday that my heart rate was at 10% higher than usual during the night and it took longer to drop. Um, so I have plenty of evidence there. I think there is, so glucose um, is really interesting. 
I think it is uh, really interesting to see again time of training because it has a major impact on your sleep. Um, HR and HRV, we already have it. Obviously, monitoring that during the day and correlating to the quality of sleep, it's really important. I think there is heart rate recovery. That is a sub-metric that just few wearables have. And so it's the ability of your heart rate, how fast does it drop after spiking? Um, because at the end of the day, we want to really correlate sleep quality with general health and wellness and fitness. There could be VO2 max. That is another one that is interesting for us. Um, and body temperature. Body temperature becomes really relevant, particularly for women, because through that you can see things like from pregnancy to period ovulation. And at that point, we change the temperature for them during if they are ovulating. And speaking of HRV, what's uh, what's your recommendation? What, what's the idea? For what? Uh, let's just say may, maybe longevity and then uh, about athletes. So what to do for longevity? Yes. So a couple of things. Uh, sleep, foundational, right? Seven to nine hours. Um, training, you should focus on high intensity interval training and strength. So weightlifting, those are the two most important. The key is to really spike your heart rate above 80% of your max at least twice a week. Um, that is what is really recommended. And then for food, um, fasting is proven to work extremely well. Uh, you could do 16-8 or uh, one meal a day. Um, and the other thing is you need to absolutely at least avoid sugar um, and reduce carbs. But the key is to avoid glucose spikes because they create inflammation, which is the number one reason for a bunch of diseases. When did you start keto? Three years ago. -ish. Three years ago. Yeah. Um, with my experience of keto, it's um, I can be extremely focused and I can get things done, but at the same time, I lose most of my strength when I do weightlifting, right? Um, so probably it's better for longevity, isn't it? Isn't, it's not, maybe it's not for all athletic uh, events. What do you think? I mean, so first, everyone is different, right? So that, that is the most important thing that we want to share with everyone listening here, right? I, I can go and eat uh, one meal a day. When we started using a CGM for my wife and I was always making fun of her because she was not doing it, we discovered that she had major glucose drops below the minimum baseline. So wow. she couldn't do it, she shouldn't be doing it, right? So for you can be different than from, from me for keto. My hypothesis is because for strength training, you need mainly proteins than carbs, you shouldn't have an impact. Um, but again, I think th th this is where companies like us will really change in the, the future of healthcare because in a year or two from now, you will have your own profile and you will know what happens when. Hmm. When it comes to the, to what we mentioned earlier about prediction versus reaction, right? It's, um, one of the foundations of why we started Terra was 
in the whole medical industry, they understand your body in static samples. Uh, so you are going to get data, you're going to do your blood analysis, for example, and get your biomarkers in a static basis. And then you're going to do an X-ray or whatever, and it's uh, on a static basis. But then by accessing all that information from sleep, for example, or from wearables, you access information in a 24-hour fashion. So you have real-time information and the, the access to data is so, so much different because now you know the rate of change instead of a static point in time and you can be so tailored into each individual. Yeah, and that's the, that's the whole point. Super, when you think about like how uh, accessing this abundance of data, you would get some super smart engineers getting access in a, a super easy way, crunching the numbers and coming up with predictions which would make sense for uh, for specific uh, use cases. And that's what you said, what you mentioned about each individual is different. So when you look at the data, you see what's tailored for that specific individual which would make sense from a nutrition perspective, fitness perspective, and everything. One one point that is also very important to note is uh, stress and mental, let's say mental wellness in general, it's becoming a big, a big topic. How, what's your, uh, what's your opinion about what should be built to complement what eight sleep is offering in terms of sleep? Because it's very correlated, stress levels and sleep. Yeah. I'm going back to, to touch about a couple of points and then I'll, I'll answer your question. So first, I agree preventative health will be the real game changer. So in the next, I don't know, couple of years, we'll reach a point we will be able to say it's not something just happening. It's, look, you, if you keep in this direction, you have 80% uh, chances to develop this disease or for this to happen. That will be when healthcare will really change. And we are not that far, a couple of years. Second, going back to your previous question, another area where I would like you guys to, to build an integration is uh, with uh, blood tests, because blood tests could tell us so much about you from your stress level, cortisol, to other multiple factors. I'm doing the GRAIL test next week, which is the one that is supposed to help you identify certain type of cancers uh, before they are usually discovered. But I also, strongly believe that we will see strong correlation between certain blood results and your sleep quality uh, but we need the integration so we need that to be very easy um, going back to stress so we are building a lot of content right now we just hired a person who, who comes from a major company she will lead content for us and we'll start developing content for mindfulness and relaxation because it's still one of the biggest factors impacting sleep quality for, for our users. We're going to get there. Um, personally, what I do, I, I call it stillness. Uh, I was actually doing it this morning. So I tried to spend somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes doing nothing and sitting. At the beginning, you struggle a lot because you have this anxiety, the phone, let me touch it. Did anyone write me? What are the news? What's happening on Twitter? But after 20, 30 minutes is when you're, you're your monkey mind finally starts slowing down and, and clarity comes. Um, and I have seen that working extremely well is actually a technique that Naval suggested, which is very similar to meditation, but the difference with meditation is, is not a new effort. Here you do nothing, right? You just let your mind go wherever it wants. 
and at a certain point it gets tired to go crazy. At the beginning, it's like a ball bouncing everywhere in the room. And at a certain point, it starts losing speed, and that is when clarity comes. What um, what else do you do in when it comes to that? You are a CEO of one of the biggest companies in our space. How do you handle it? How do you handle stress? Uh, one of the things you mentioned is it's all about sleep. Second, it's all about your training. Third is uh, stillness that you have in the morning. Is, is this your general routine or you do something else as well? Well, workout, fitness. Fitness is the other big one. So I really these four things. Sleep. For me, I sleep eight to nine hours. Um, I train probably six out of seven or seven out of seven. So I, I, I do something every day, right? It's not that I need to be super hard training, but I try to do something almost every day. Then I do mindfulness and then I take care of my nutrition. Another area that I have seen working extremely well, I'm able to meaningfully change my HR and HRV at night just based on what I eat. I actually tweeted about that the other day. If I had the soup, broccoli soup, I think, I had the ground turkey, grilled veggies, so really light, my heart rate was, I think, 8% lower than my baseline. Is and there... I did it the following night, and it was 7% lower, so they confirmed it. What, what kind of services or solutions or apps that you use to, uh, to track and to monitor improvements? Um, the outside the sleep app, so I test every wearable. I can, I'm wearing a Whoop at night, I use an Aura, I use Levels. So first, I, I like the space, and then second is part of my job to know what everyone is doing. Um, I use an app that I really like called Zones app. Um, and it's really good to monitor your fitness and to compare it week over week, month over month, and year over year. Uh, and it also gives you a very clear snapshot of how much time you spend with heart rate above a certain threshold, which is the key, right? Because there could be moderate training, but if you want to reduce the risk of cardiovascular diseases, you really need to keep your heart rate above the 80% for as long as possible every week. And so that app helps you to do that. What's, um, how does it change when you are an athlete? Let's just say, if you are targeting, if your goal is longevity, then fasting, keto um, are very important when it comes to nutrition. And then your sleep and your training is specific. How does it change? Let's just say you are an Olympic athlete. Um, what would you do if you were in that situation? And I guess you work with so many of the athletes that you would know best. Yeah. So based on my understanding, um, the most recent trends are that Athletes, they have a different diet uh, based on different time of the year, right? So my cousin was in the junior national skip team. And so, for example, when he was off season, he was on a keto. The reason was to really now um, lose weight, become thinner, so it will have less impact on your knees and everything else. But then, and he tried to stay in keto most of the week. But then let's say the race is on a Sunday, starting on Friday, he started in taking carbs and he was spiking the carbs the day of the race. And then from Monday back to keto, right? And so there is another area where we, I think we will all learn a lot, 
where right now it's just, oh, I'm on the keto 365 days a year. Probably it's just a dumb decision. And I should just be able to keep adjusting based on the needs, which to a certain degree I do it. Meaning if I have an important meeting um, one day, maybe I can play a little bit with carbs because I'm not used to those and they can give me a spike during the day in terms of energy. And so I try to follow what athletes do and I just try to apply it at, at work. What about micronutrients? Micronutrients, so I use athletic greens uh, personally. The, I think the challenge you have with that stuff is you never know if it works. Yep. Uh, but maybe now, now us and you guys can help people see if there is any difference. So for example, another thing I just started testing is NMN which is one of those supplements that David Sinclair recommends for longevity. Peter Atia thinks it doesn't work. Sinclair thinks he, that it works. Um, so I started taking it um, and I feel more energized, but I can tell you if it's just placebo and I'm just convincing myself or it's true. Um, yeah, I, there are a couple of ways you can approach content. So first, okay, very personalized information and notification, which I think is the most relevant, at least in the long term. Um, then you can create content to read. Um, the, I think that each company needs to take a position if they want to go very scientific. And at that point, I think of levels and Elysium, or if you want to be a more, a bit more easy to digest, which is probably our approach because we find the other one um, a bit boring after a while, right? I mean, it obviously depends on the persona, but when, when, when you look at you now, when you start having 100,000 customers, right? Being super technical um, and detailed and scientific, probably not the best approach for engagement. And so we try to find this balance between probably sharing stories of athletes Right? So you're still learning how the best in class, you know, world class people handle certain topics, but in a way that is more like not discovering the behind the scene. Um, and that is working super well for us. Every time we share any behind the scene from our athletes, uh, people love them. Yeah, I, I read a few of, uh, of your articles and I, I think I agree with that. The, the key is in the simplicity. It's, Specifically for when you start scaling and going to uh, the mass market, it makes a difference to make it super easy for your customers to understand what you're talking about. How how do you uh, how do you make decisions on how do you make it as easy as possible? What what kind of details do you think matter? Because at some at some point also it makes it would make sense to explain the thinking process behind it or the details behind it. Why why do you do this compared to this from a scientific perspective? I mean, I, I always think most of the, there are a lot of decisions when you run a company that is less about the decision itself and is more about how intentional you are, right? So you can go scientific or you can go for athletes. Both they will work. You just need to stand behind that and be intentional and double down. And then you A-B test within you know, that, that circle, within that area. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's also not your own passion. I think the fact that also eight sleep is positioned with athletes and it goes in that direction comes from my background. Probably if you have put another CEO doing the same exact company, maybe if it was a PhD from MIT, 
this company was would be you know will look way more technical and scientific. But instead, we have that because we have PhDs from MIT working on our machine learning models. But we want to be more the the Red Bull of sleep and be perceived for the energy that we give you in the morning more than for the technicalities behind how the the product operates. Which, if you think, is a bit the difference between I don't know Microsoft and Apple. Apple products, most of the times, they are not technically as so they, they don't even talk about the technicalities. They just talk about the experience. And so that is our approach as well. So the way we consider Sleep today is one of the most well-branded companies out there. So how did you, how did you approach branding at the beginning? Let's just say from YC and then how did it shift uh, to reach to the point that you are today? And, and really what do we need to do to get to that stage? So, yeah, first of all, I mean, all the credit goes to, to Alexandra, one of the co-founders and obviously her team. But if you look back, the biggest inflection point was a very bold decision. That is when we decided to invent Sleep Fitness. And we really changed our branding from being, I would say, traditional uh, to become a, a sleep performance brand. And... It was a big, it was a big jump. Uh, we had some pushback internally. Uh, also with some of our board members, they were, yeah, is it really going to work? Uh, but then there was very quickly an alignment, at least at the board level. But inside the companies, there were still a lot of pushback from some people. Oh, this is because of you, Matteo, just because you train six, seven times a week. It's not that everyone wants to do that. How big is this audience, you know? Uh, that, that, that was the, the pushback. It's not that everyone in the world is, is an athlete uh, or, or kind of you know, a fitness geek. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we took the bold decision to be contrarian because, again, uh, sleep performance was, was not a thing. Sleep fitness didn't even exist as a term. We went for that. And again, we were intentional, probably because we are passionate about the topic and now it's working. But we, we had a couple of sleep mess, a couple of nights without sleep, but it was not an easy, obvious decision. So it's a lot about the message that you have, right? So it's a lot about deciding what's the message you want to convey. But how did you end up choosing that in the first place? Because I think for me, it has always been all about the energy you have in the morning, right? If you could skip sleep, and still feel great in the morning, you wouldn't sleep or you would sleep less. Let's, let's be real. Everyone in the world, right? We just sleep because of how you feel after a great night of sleep. And so at that point, you understand that the real outcome for the user is the energy they have at 8 a.m., 7 a.m. in the morning. And so then you start thinking, who are the best people showing and displaying energy every single day, you know, the maximum expression of energy? And that is athletes. Right? They use all their energy to achieve the impossible. And so we always had this vision since five years ago. We, we just finally you know, focused to put it together and brand it like that. And it makes sense from a perspective that most people want to become athletes, right? It's like it's more most people um, are looking towards an athlete and they're thinking, oh, this is the ideal. And yeah. it's inspirational. 
This yeah. is the inspiration, exactly. Yeah. If athletes use this product and athletes need a lot of energy to do what they do, maybe that could be helpful for me as well. Mm. At the same time, what you said, Matteo, it's a, it was a risky, uh, risky decision. But t tell us more. This takes us very well to the, uh, uh, the business side of things. How, uh, how, how was the, uh, the process when it came to uh, fundraising? And did, you, did you guys struggle? Was it difficult or was it easy? Plus, to, to say on the point of, uh, I, we speak to so many hardware startups and everybody has a very difficult time in pitching to investors. I always get the same, uh, the same question, uh, me and Rauven, it's like, you guys are doing software, when we do hardware, it's just so difficult to raise. So how was it for you? And how should they approach it? Um... It was very difficult, multiple times. I would say 90% of the times. Um, yeah, in particular, I think now when we started, there was a moment where hardware was really hot. There were a lot of crowdfunding campaigns that were super successful in 2015. And then unfortunately, a lot of those companies, they, they, they didn't succeed or they, they decided to pull back. And so I think more around, if I remember correctly, 2017, no one really wanted to touch hardware at all. It was like the thing where, okay, the company's 100% gonna die. It's impossible to scale. Uh, it's impossible to find really good economics with customers for you know, customer acquisition. Um, so we just kept pushing. Uh, we, we took our risk. We have been in trouble a couple of times. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we have always been able to find uh, bold investors that they were, uh, they, they wanted this as much as we wanted. And so they were, I would say, health and sleep pioneers with us and, and they gave us the money to make it happen. But I think when you look at the people that led our rounds, it's not a coincidence, right? There are people that take big, bold bets because 90% of the other people didn't want the, so the for key, a, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, I wanted to say the key here is uh, highlighting uh, bold investors. By saying this, it means you were you had a bold idea. Yeah, I mean, I think what we are doing, no one has done it, right? And and it requires hardware. So just the I would say the the, the diligence uh, that you need to build an hardware company with all the risk that you take in terms of inventory, production, recalls, uh, failures. Uh, you need to be a bit crazy. So if you can avoid an hardware company, avoid that. Then if you're really passionate, go for it. But it's gonna it's gonna be hard. And like at the early stages, the the top tier investors, like you raise from Kosla, you raise from uh, Founders Fund. It's like for a first time founder, how do they approach these guys? Um, so for me, I was not first time founder. This is my third company, but the other two were not in Silicon Valley. And so they didn't have any reference uh, for me, right? It's not that they could talk to other people. The other two were in finance and so on. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, th I think in the early days for me it was hard because I was this Italian guy again. I didn't study in the US. So I, I, there were no Temps that could prove that no, I was able to build the business. And when you invest that early, you're really investing on the people. Um, 
But at the end, they gave me a chance uh, to me and to my co-founders. And, and I mean, hopefully, grab the liver. That's, that's great. What's the, uh, so you were speaking about, uh, you mentioned that people, and you know, as much as we do, the, the importance of having uh, an A team to build something exceptional that changes the world. And that's the key for, uh, I think, the key for success to any business. What's the, uh, how do you make sure that you are bringing the right people in the company? Yeah, I think there is an area where we have learned a lot over time. And I feel now finally we're doing a good job. Um, we have a, a, a very detailed process. I would say the, the most impactful thing is everyone needs to go through a project um, to join us. And then they present the project to a panel. If they don't want to do it because they're busy, because they ha have other offers, they just don't care. And so we lose those candidates. That is the first step of selection. And then between the process, everyone- they more details on it? Like what's, uh, what's the project? I mean, it depends for each different department, right? If it's brand, it's a brand exercise. If it's product, you should design or think about the UX of a feature. Uh, if it's uh, electrical, you need to do electrical. If it's software, you need to code in real time or, or build almost an hackathon. How much uh, How much time do you expect the candidate to spend to deliver something like this? We were literally, myself and Kyriakos, before coming to talk to you, discussing on how to build something like this, a project for some of the candidates that are interviewing with us now. Yeah, we are reducing it a bit. I would say probably before, assuming you have another job, it would take you three days. Uh, I was in the spare time outside the job, right? So what, 10 hours, so a lot. And uh, now we are trying to reduce it probably to two to four hours, um, but we want to keep it. Um, is it actually, before you move on to the next points, and that's very important, what's the, is it actually a good determinator on whether they would succeed with eight sleep or is it one of the smallest variables then? No, it is. I don't know it, it, where it is really helpful is to really avoid hiring a lot of these people. I would say we have, I don't know the exact number, but probably 90% people don't, don't pass the project because um, of our standards. And so sometimes you find people coming from really good organizations, but um, but then we are not happy with the with the project itself or with the presentation. Um, but the other big thing is not that you just need to deliver that. Then everyone gives you a rating, and they everyone there are three ratings: pass, higher, and strong higher. And you cannot be higher if you don't have at least one strong higher. So let's say you have six hires. We don't hire you. So at least one person it doesn't need to be your manager or your hiring manager, but at least one person in the team needs to be bullish on you. Mm. This is like the YC logic, by the way. What's um, who, who are the six people that are, are there? No, it really depends. It could be four or three. It, it depends based on your interviews and your panel, but you need at least a strong hire. And usually what we have seen a correlation between the most successful people at Eight Sleep is usually they really have 80% of the people rating them strong hires. The best people, everyone notices these guys are great. Mm. And 
do you uh, when so when you think about hiring for let's say for startups that are uh, just launching, how do it's if the market is super competitive when it comes to engineers, sales, anything? What's the uh, how would you uh, think is the best approach to find the right people? I think you really need to develop a relationship. I think if I look back, the quality of our hiring at the time, I was definitely not, I would say, as knowledgeable as I am today. And I, I still, when I talk to early stage startups, maybe as an investor or as a advisor or friend, I still see them not aiming high enough in the quality of the people. Well, instead, if you think it's just illogical, because if you are three people and you add one person, that is 25% of the IQ of the group. And instead, when you are 100 people and you add one person, you have way more flexibility and screwing up one higher. Um, and so the obsession for the quality of hiring at the small stage is orders of magnitude more important. And that's why investors, they all, why they care is the quality of the people. That's exactly, uh, like Yako said, you're giving us the same logic as YC. We spoke with uh, YC partners uh, just two weeks ago, and he mentioned, uh, is when, when you add one person, is it significantly increasing the uh, value of the deliverable, or is it uh, linearly increasing? Yeah. A couple of questions I usually use is, okay, are they raising the IQ of the executive team? That's one. Two, if they start their company tomorrow, would I invest? Three, do I enjoy spending time with these people? Because that is another problem that happens sometimes with executives. Um, maybe you just, you know, you don't click. And it's like being friends. It's not that you can get along with everyone. There is a culture. That is the other thing. Sometimes as CEOs, you, you feel bad because, I don't know, it doesn't work with that person or this person on paper is great, but you don't want to hire them. And at the end of the day, each company has its own culture and you see more and more as you mature. So for example, for us, a lot of inbounds now are people that are already in fitness, that are already training. There are people from Red Bull and Nike reaching out for branding, you know? So finally we reach a point where there is a sort of auto selection because we are not about waffles in bed on a lazy Sunday. And there is nothing bad with that. It's just not who we are and not who I am. And so we respect those people and other great companies are built around those values. But for us, we want go-getters that are in attack mode all the time. I think it's uh, like when, when speaking about hiring, both myself and Kiyakos, when before starting the company, the way we were thinking about it, whether it's uh, co-founders or hiring the right people to join us, we had three key fundamental things that we focus on. Number one, we look at the, the values and principles of the individual and we would say, okay, would they align with how uh, we are as people? Uh, second, then we look at the chemistry, which is what you mentioned. Does it energize you to work with this, uh, with this person? Is it someone that you want to work with? You can work with for 10 hours plus without uh, getting bored. And then the, the final one is uh, the technical abilities, which is can they do the job but surprisingly we believe that the last one is not as important as the first and the second because we think that if someone is aligns with the uh, values and the principles they would be individuals who are hungry to learn and they would learn how to do the last one 
yeah so it's like technically we get a lot of people we might get applications from google and facebook and and all that technically they might be exceptional and then culturally they don't fit and we just reject those people but it's like it's it's about the unit right it's about the team you're, you're building uh and if the team has a similar culture and it's go-getters it's doers um they're they're humble and they're driven it's um it's a very specific type of type of person but having said that you, you mentioned about um investing which um we, we talk about this a, a few times you started investing uh, and you created your own fund as well can you can you tell us like some of the mistakes you've done by investing what should uh, what should we avoid and what what are you looking for how, how can people reach you yeah um so the bottom line I oversimplified over time. You really invest just in people. Um, you don't know if the idea will change, if they will you know, do something completely different, but as long as you trust the people, that is your best chance. And the second is also don't, honestly, don't try to be too sophisticated about really thinking about the time and what they're doing. Because again, the most unexpected companies are the ones that probably can you know, deliver you one of the biggest returns. For me, the, one of the biggest returns are from you know, two people that were in YC with me. I wanted to invest in their YC company. There was demo day, I missed that opportunity. They sold that company, but then they built another one that now is massive. And when they told me they were starting a company, I didn't even really care too much about what they were doing. I just knew these two guys can do anything everywhere. They, you can drop them in the desert and they will figure it out. And and I think that is what happened. So it's just all about people. We had a, a chat last week with uh, one of our investors, Lance Armstrong, and he said that one of the, uh, the the only thing that he follows when it comes to investing are three things. So number one, founders, number two, founders, and number three, founders. So that's in line with, uh, with Lance. Uh, cool. Um, thank you so much for the chat. It was really cool. Yeah, Mateo, just just the last one. What's um, what should we expect from Aidsleep? What's the next two years? A lot of great stuff. I mean, I think uh, yeah, I think we are going above and beyond. Um, we we don't rest on what we have. I think you know, in good or in bad, I always push the team to be stretched as much as as I can to to achieve more. And the reason is because we are passionate about what we are doing. So it will be new hardware, new software. And at the end of the day, it goes back to sleep compression and saving your life, right? So we'll just make a step towards these channel stars. Great. Matteo, what a fantastic discussion. Thank you very much for your time. We uh, not only learned a lot from you today, but we also, uh, it's great to catch up again with you. Thank you so awesome. much, Matteo. We'll speak soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.